Hello, I'm Reggie Yates, and welcome to The Road Less Travelled, an original podcast series created by Bellstaff. I was like, where do you see yourself as fitting on that spectrum? And uh, she said, Naomi, look, I'm not going to answer those questions because I know that you've done your research. I know that you've been chosen to do this role and you've been chosen because you're the right person to do this role. Um, So you make the decision about how you want to portray me. And it was so liberating because suddenly I thought, Winnie Mandela herself has said, I know what I'm doing. So nobody else can tell me how to play Winnie. Like, I've got this, you know? It was so liberating hearing those words from her. In this series of podcasts, I talk to successful people about risk-taking, confounding expectations and the choices they've made to take them to the place they are now. This week, I'm talking to a British actor who's become a Hollywood star. She's taken on roles as diverse as a voodoo witch in Pirates of the Caribbean, Winnie Mandela in Long Walk to Freedom, and Eve Moneypenny in the last two Bond films. In 2016, she was nominated for an Oscar for Moonlight, and in 2017 was given an OBE for services to drama. She is Naomi Harris. Naomi Harris, welcome. Thank you. Uh, you were so about to time. sip your tea. I and was actually. You. And we're both here. I think it's really cool, actually. We're both here sipping hot water and lemon. Thank you for throwing me in. <laughs> You're completely messing with the, the image that I'm trying to put out there, that I'm rock it's and roll. It's a great image, I though. I love the edge. Really? I love it, yeah. All right, should we, should we get it out of the way? As we're tea twins, should we just okay, take a sip take and a then sip. we can, we can yeah, move on? All right, we can go. after yeah. you. Mm, I feel better now. I feel um, Yeah, I feel ready, better. ready for this. I'm actually mm-hmm. um, quite impressed that neither of us slurped. <laughs> okay, uh, now there's so many different ways to start a conversation with you uh, when it comes really? to you and your career. Yes, there are. There, there's okay. so many, because there's so Let's many try. milestones How, in my what, humble what, what are you going to choose? Well, I want to start in a place that is kind of obvious because mm-hmm. it ties the two of us together Ooh. Uh, in quite a unique way. Really? And that is the beginning of your career. Anna Cher. There it is. Uh, yeah. You started out as a child actor. Yes, I did. As I did. Yeah. And I met you mm-hmm. uh, for the first time in years backstage at an award ceremony that I was hosting. And I pulled you to one side and I said, you're not going to remember me, mm. but we were in the same class. Did Anna I remember Cher. you? No. <laughs> you were like, nah, nah. And the reason that you didn't... <laughs> Is because you're uh, not that much older. You're a few years older than yeah. me. Yeah. And okay, I was Thank just you. a few. Thank just a few. you, Reggie. Appreciate that. Just a few. Yeah. And I was a snotty-nosed, annoying person when you were one of the cool teenagers. I was never cool. Can I just say I was never, ever cool. Now, tell I've me, never tell been me in what that. way. Really? No. Come on. You, well, we thought you were cool. No, nobody has ever thought I was cool. Really? Yeah. Well, you're wrong. Because <laughs> for us, and you'll know this at Anna's, uh, mm-hmm. when you're a child actor and you're in the, the YP, as it was called, the Young yes, Professionals, a class that. for young actors who were working. Mm. Uh, those that were teenagers were always seen by the really young kids mm-hmm. as the coolest people alive. Wow. And for my guys, you were one of those cool people. Wow, I love that. Um, so Anna Cher was, well, the single reason, I believe anyway, that I ended up behind this mic talking to you mm. today. Anna is the reason that I have a career. Mm. Um, you've gone on to drama school and done lots of things since Anna Cher, but mm. Anna's was the first place that your career really begun to blossom. Absolutely, yeah. Um, what did you take from the Anisha experience and why do you think you ended up becoming one of the kids that went on to have a career? Um, I mean, I took everything from Anisha's mm. as well. Like, I mean, she is the reason that I have this career that I have. It was just a passion of mine. I just loved acting. Yep. And I never knew that I'd be able to make a living out of it. And so many people said that I wouldn't. But when you start off at nine years old and you end up taking your family to Martinique, 
you know, an exotic place and, you know, it's all expenses paid holiday because I ended up getting a job over there uh, is such a huge deal. And you realise like anything is possible at that young age. Therefore, if I can achieve that, what else can I achieve? You know, um, what other great adventures can I have in my life? So Anishir taught me that I could could make it as a professional actress because I started at nine and I literally worked every single year. It's insane. I, yeah. I started at, um, around about the same age. I was eight. Mm-hmm. And the first job I did was with Zowie Ashton, uh, mm-hmm. who played my sister in mm-hmm. Desmond's of all shows. Uh, one of the things that I've spoken out a few times, and not enough, I think, mm. is the fact that my first job really changed the way that I saw myself. And that was because, well, I was on set surrounded by people that looked like me, mm-hmm. which is quite a unique experience mm-hmm. for a black British actor. Mm. Um, I was on the set of Desmond's. Mm. A Channel 4 sitcom, in fact, Channel 4's longest running sitcom about a black family who run a barbershop in Peckham, of all places. Yeah, I remember and it well. I was blown away by the fact that people that were the same age as my grandparents were having fun at work. Mm. Because in my experience, if you're of a certain colour and of a certain age, work is hell. Mm. Whereas they were having an incredible time and earning money and good money mm. in the process. And I remember going home and speaking to my mother about wanting to do this forever. Mm. Um, and did she believe in you? Did she say that was possible? Oh, absolutely. She oh, then told amazing. me, I mean, she told me to do the washing up straight away. <laughs> but quite, we, we had a conversation about it that's being so cool. my future potential. Yeah. So when was the moment when you realised, mm-hmm. this is the thing I want to do forever? I really don't remember that moment because honestly, I've always known that that's what I was going to do. You know, really? yeah, always, always. And I'd say to people, even at like, age three if they asked me what are you going to be when you grow up and I'd be like I'm going to be an actress and I would say it with all seriousness I just absolutely knew I used to spend hours in front of the mirror pretending I was different people doing different accents trying to make myself cry it was just always in me where does that come from do you think no idea uh, so your at parents all. don't have any relationship with performance in it at all? No, my mum's actually incredibly, well, she's not shy as such. She's mm. shy about performing. So it didn't come from her at all. It doesn't come from anyone else in my family. Um, I don't know where I got it from, but I just always knew. Uh, so was there a point when you decided that there was a particular kind of route that you wanted to walk uh, as opposed to some of the things that were easier or given to us as kids in a place like Anna Cher, for instance, uh, so many kids at mm. Anna's ended up in soap or mm. ended up in serial drama. That's interesting. Yeah, um, that's a really good point, actually, because I don't I don't know whether I really made a decision that like, oh, I don't want to do soaps or it just didn't happen like that. Mm. Actually, what happened for me was I left drama school thinking, oh, this is so great. You know, now I've got my education and my experience mm. and now I can go out into this world and um, conquer it. Because as a child actor, I'd worked all the time. Every single job that I went up for, I'd got. So I thought that the adult world was going to be the same. Oh, you were one and of then... those. Hang on a second. We're going we're gonna to pull the handbrake there. Because there was a group of kids in Anna's who would always work. Do you remember Ken Romano? I know that name, but I can't remember okay. the face. I so, can't put a face to it. Anna, she used to have a saying. She used to yeah. say, why can't we all be like Ken Romano? Did she and then the whole class would go because we're all individuals right. and that was one of the many many things that we all sort of got through osmosis of being around Anna yeah. this idea of individuality mm. but um, 
in terms of working at a young age, mm-hmm. there were a group of kids who were just destined to do well mm-hmm. and they got everything that they went for. Mm-hmm. I certainly wasn't one of those right, kids. Right, right. I well, got jobs. Okay, well, I got to admit like it. I, I admit it. I was one of those kids. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Um, so it was like the rudest possible awakening for me when I left drama school because then I thought I trained. So now, you know, all the doors should open and yes. I should get every job that I go up to. Well, not every job, but, you know, um, and nobody would employ me. I spent nine months after leaving drama school unemployed and it's it's the most depressed I've ever got in my life because I I felt like I I couldn't call myself an actor. Um, So I got really, really down and really uncertain. I don't even know how we got onto this. How did we get onto that? Anyway, we're here on this track, so let's go down it. Um, So yeah, it was a really, really bleak time for me. And then what happened was Danny Boyle came along. And he rescued me, basically, by giving me the role as Selena in 28 Days Later. And that started my career. Oh, that's what it was. You were talking about the choice between... Don't, don't, so, connect, yeah. don't connect the dots. Don't connect and the, the thing, dots. Just the let thing it happen is, now. No, but the just thing is, just, let just it go with to it. You. Just flow. Just let go. go let go. Let okay, I try. I'm not very good at letting go, actually. Um, <laughs> no kidding. Teach me. Teach me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it wasn't a choice. Because, like, if a soap had offered me a role at that stage, I would have taken it, you know? Right. I would have taken anything, to be honest. Your journey, as I said, is is um, is is quite a unique one, but in a weird way, lots of things have happened to the two of us that are very similar. But there really? was, yeah, Ooh, yeah, um, there was a point during my teens where yeah. I really became aware of class. Uh, class was on my radar because yeah. for the first time during Anna's, I met kids that were talking about going to places like Oxford and places mm-hmm. like Cambridge, mm-hmm. and you ended up at Cambridge. Yeah, how did that happen? It happened because of an amazing teacher called Mr. Murdoch, who um, I I never actually wanted to go on and do my A-levels. Mm. I never wanted to go to university. I just wanted to go straight into acting. I knew it's what I wanted to do. So, you know, I just wanted to get on with it. Mm. But my mum has never asked anything of me. My mum's the kind of person who says, you want to smoke? Go and smoke. Wow. You know, I'll tell you the reasons why you shouldn't. And you should do some research yourself. But yeah. you want to do that, do that. You know, you want to leave school at 14, whatever, do whatever you want to do with your life. She's very um, liberal. Um, But the one thing that she did ask me to do was to do my A-levels because she said, if you ever want to ultimately do a degree, then you have your A-levels already done and it'll just make life easier for you. So I went to Woodhouse Sixth Form College and there was this amazing teacher called Mr. Murdoch who was a sociology teacher and he was so inspiring and so passionate about his subject that I fell in love with sociology. Uh, And he said to me, look, I think you have the potential to get into Oxbridge and I will help you to get in. And that's what he did. He tutored me after school and, you know, I thought, wow, this is an incredible... I didn't want to go to university, but if I have the opportunity to go to Cambridge, this would be extraordinary and Mm. I'm going to go and do it. So what what was the uh, experience like? Um, The experience, (laughs) which I've talked about at length... um, (laughs) And I hate to go on about it because so many people have written to me over the years and said, like, you know, I've got a place in Oxbridge and um, I'm not sure whether I should take it because I know that you always say what a horrible experience you had. Um, And I don't want to put people off because I think things have really changed now. I mean, we're talking about like 20 years ago that I went to to Cambridge. Um, But for me, it was a massive culture shock because Mm. I'm this working class kid from Finsbury Park and then suddenly I'm at Cambridge with people who are, I mean, the college I went to, which was Pembroke College, it was, I don't know, like 95% public school, private school educated kids. And, you know, there were people that I just was not used to being around. And it was incredibly intimidating and isolating and um, a really, really tough experience for me. How much has uh, fitting in been 
uh, a theme for you, would you say, in your in your career and, and working life and, and school? Yeah, I don't think that I've always been an oddball. You know what I mean? I'm not someone who fits in because I dance to the beat of my own drum. And I think that's one of the the wonderful things about having such a strong, empowering mother because my mum always said I could, mm. you know. Um, she was always someone who said, make your own choices. And I think most of what being a kid is about is about conforming mm. whereas I was always you know an anti-conformist because and it wasn't because I was just anti-conforming for the sake of it it was just that I was making my own decisions and even the career that I chose people said you can't be an actress you can't make a living from it you know who else do you know that makes a living as being an actress and you're black and you're a woman um, and I was like well no this is what I'm I'm gonna do so I think as a result of my choices it always meant that I was operating in a way that people found weird fitting in has always been a bit tricky for me I have to say mm. so uh you referred to Danny Boyle as saving you yeah. during that bleak period mm-hmm. um post-drama school why would you use those well why did you use those words well because it was very bleak you know I was so depressed um and I really thought oh my god am I ever ever gonna work you know and he believed in me you know, when I went in initially to audition, I, I don't think I did a particularly good job, but he saw something in me. So he called me at home and he said, look, when, when you come back next time, I want you to drop the posh accents. He was like, you're just too posh. Like we need you to be more urban, more street <laughs> um, and do this and do that. And he coached me basically for the next audition, which is why I got it. Wow. Mm. Um, I, I remember it wasn't that long after that, the white teeth happened yes, correct yeah um and white teeth was was huge for a lot of people yeah. because and it so, was so strange for me white teeth because sadie smith obviously wrote it and i went to university with her because she was at king's college while i was at pembroke college right well yeah. so many people loved the book mm. and so many people felt that they knew zadie through mm. her writing yeah what was it like actually taking on the responsibility of that role I mean, to be honest, I, I didn't really, I, I wasn't aware of the huge impact that the, the book had had. Yeah. So it didn't feel like a huge weight. It felt like a huge weight just simply because it was like my second job after leaving drama school. And I was, I felt really pressured and I was like, I want to do the very best that I possibly can. Mm. But I absolutely loved playing that role. It was so liberating. I love characters where they don't, they don't care at all about their appearances. And that, that character was like, had to two front teeth missing and I just loved that she was just so liberated and so free and so comfortable in her own skin yeah one of the major themes in that series is home Mm -hmm. and the idea of home and what it is and what we can build it to be Mm -hmm. Um, as someone who travels so much with work and as someone who's moved around so much because of your career choices what is home to you Well, home is really important to me um, and it really is about my family. Because I travel so much, it's really difficult for me to find a way to sort of settle in a community. Um, So I think that's why I've chosen to live on the same street as my family. I'm like eight doors down, (laughs) um, which is so cool. I love it. My mum is such a community person. Mm. Uh, So she knows everybody, which means as a result, through her, I know everybody. Family is clearly a huge thing for you it it just keeps coming up Uh, how much has that affected your decision making would you say when it comes to the sort of work that you do it's um affected my decision making just because my mum is so powerful and so intelligent and so strong and made such huge sacrifices to allow me to live the life that I am living right now Mm. I always felt a sense of responsibility 
to make sure that the roles I took honoured her and honoured women like her. So I didn't ever want to play sort of a dumb woman, a woman who was just, you know, um, valued because of her looks or a tits in her ass or, you know, those kind of things. I wanted to play women with substance, um, women with intellect and women who weren't just the adjunct to a story but were actually part of driving it forward. Mm. Um, and that was really, really important to me. And that's why once I was able to make the decision and be choosy about the the roles that I took, I always made sure that I p- played strong, powerful women. Yeah, well, and that speaks massively to something that's incredibly important to me, and that is understanding the power of your platform. Mm. And it took me a while, mm. but the minute that that penny dropped, um, I haven't been able to really look back. Everything that I do, I feel, uh, speaks to the values that are important to me and the things that I want to put out there and the Mm -hmm. conversations that I want to start. That penny has still not dropped for me in a way. I I don't feel as though I'm using this platform to inspire other people as such. I feel like I'm just making choices that are important, impactful for me Mm. um, and authentic to me. I think I I still need to work at that. Well, you you say that, but authenticity is undeniable mm. and I think when someone is being their truest self you can tell surely you can see that about your, your career and your choices to this point yeah no I I do but I make them because of me I don't make them because of an awareness of like I'm carrying a group of people with me mm. I make them because I want to represent positive images of women I want to represent positive images of black women in particular but I'm not kind of I don't know, I don't sort of think, what would everybody else think as I'm making a decision? It's just simply based on what does my gut say about this? What's really beautiful about what you've just said is that you're not the only person that is operating in that way, particularly today. Mm -hmm. Um, There is an incredible moment that we're in the middle of. And um, I just made a documentary about it, actually. Um, It's called TV's Black Renaissance. Um, And I went to Los Angeles and sat down with everyone from Justin Simeon to Mahershala Ali, Mm -hmm. who you work with on Moonlight, Mm -hmm. uh, to Lena Waithe, and and, and spoke about this thing that's Mm -hmm. happening right now Mm -hmm. when you've got... Donald Glover and you've got Lena and you've got uh, Insecure and you've got all of these different people in shows Mm -hmm. who are redefining what it means to be a person of colour, what it means to be a minority or a woman. I'm astonished, actually, at the the speed at which change has happened. You know, that's what I, that's what really blows my mind and I find so exciting. And I think, where is it going to lead? You know, what, what, what are the changes we're going to see next? Because I think ultimately this whole industry that we're in is... It's based on money, you know, it's, a, it's an economy, you know, that um, and if people recognise that there's money to be made from different groups in society, then they respond to that. And I think for so long we were fed the lie that actually people aren't interested that much in women, they aren't interested that much in people of colour or other ethnic groups. And now we've seen with films like Crazy Rich Asians mm. or um, Black Panther, that actually that's not true at all. And there's so much money to be made f- by representing these different groups. And if you have talent and creativity, this is your moment because you can literally do anything. Yeah. And you've been at the eye of that storm because mm-hmm. um, if ever there was a moment to plant a flag and say, this is a moment in time where what you've just said is exemplified is Moonlight mm-hmm. winning uh, winning and winning in the way that it did. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you tell me about that night? And what can you tell me about being on stage and going up onto stage in the way that you did? 
It was it was surreal, you know, because it was it was such an odd thing. To, you know, we've never in the history of the Oscars has, has there ever been a moment where they've said the wrong winner. I mean, <laughs> of, I was of like, best picture. yeah, I was just like, but what, of any category though, that has yeah. never ever happened. Wow, what was it like being on the stage? when Barry had to make that speech that it, it was, minutes earlier he thought he wouldn't have yeah, to make. Yeah, I mean, it was it was completely um, magical and um, a moment that I will never, ever forget because we were the complete underdogs, you know. This is a movie that was made for 1.3 million. Nothing compared to the huge budgets that these other films had and the huge publicity budgets as well that yes. they had. Uh, and this was just a movie that touched people so deeply, mm. that represented a group that had been so underrepresented um, and was really about love, really, yes, you know, absolutely. love transcending everything, colour, transcending, you know, sexuality. Mm. And that's why it was so powerful that it won because it had such a beautiful message. Yeah, you were shot out. In three or four days? Three days. That makes absolutely no sense. Mm. Uh, now, to, to be shot in three days is difficult anyway. Mm -hmm. But to deliver the performance that you did, so much so that was actually nominated for Best Supporting Female, mm -hmm. I believe at the Academy Awards, you were playing a crack-addicted mother. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Over three stages of her life as well. So, yeah, yeah. It, it was actually easier to do it that way. Because so much of acting is just waiting around, you know, waiting for your moment. And then you have all this time to get tense about it, to overthink it, to get in your head when you should really be in your heart. And so the wonderful thing about shooting a movie in three days is I was literally on and in every single scene. So I was always working. So there was no time for nerves. There was no time for getting in my head. I just had to deliver constantly. And I actually really loved it. It's the same experience that I've you know, had recently from f filming another movie, um, Black and Blue, which um, was, is my first ever lead role. And I always said that I would never play a lead because uh, I didn't want the responsibility of kind of carrying a whole movie. And then I absolutely love that thing of just working constantly because you, yeah, you lose your nerves and you lose, um, you leave that, lose that self-consciousness that yeah. you get when you're just coming in to like do one scene every week, every couple of days or once a week or what have you. You get into a real rhythm. Yeah, uh, playing a woman who had that kind of a relationship with her son and with herself as well, what mm -hmm. with her addiction, what did you learn about yourself? Every role teaches you something different. And the thing for me about Paula was that I stood in so much judgment about her. You know, she's a crack addict and she's abusive to her son. And you can never connect with a character when you have judgment about them. Mm. Like you have to have empathy, you have to have compassion to be able to get into their skin. And I really was like, how the hell am I going to connect with this woman? Because here I am as a, you know, hot water and lemon sipping, you know, person who doesn't drink alcohol, who doesn't smoke and certainly has never done any drugs, you know. But I never would have thought you would be so judgmental of a character. Yeah, I was. I really found it hard. I mean, I just found her abusive nature towards her son the hardest. Right. So I really did stand in judgment of her. And then I had to do a lot of research. I saw lots of interviews um, with women with crack addiction. And what I noticed was every single one of them talked about being sexually abused as a child. And I realized that was the key to her. The addiction comes from pain. Mm -hmm. It's a trauma that it's too big to deal with at that young age. And that's why I couldn't stand in judgment of her because I had no understanding of the amount of pain and suffering that she had been through. I, I sort of stand by the minute you can actually 
understand and empathize with the trauma that somebody else has been through, you can start to forgive them and their flaws Absolutely. and their behavior. Yeah. Has that understanding shifted things for you in performance in any way outside of Paula? Yeah, I mean, I, I did the Hoffman process, which I, I mean, I cannot recommend highly enough and was so transformative for me because of not having my dad in my life for well, my entire childhood, yes. most of my adult life as well. Uh, I mean, I've only made contact with my dad within the last two, three years. And uh, I never felt as though I held a kind of resentment towards him. It's just, it was an absence, you know. But there is somewhere that trauma as a, as a child that you have to deal with. Yeah. Okay, uh, taking another lane here, and there is a theme, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, given everything that you've said about the earlier stages of your career, I'm really interested as to whether you saw Eve Moneypenny as a crossroads or not, and how much of an involvement did you have in shaping and redefining who she was in this new iteration of Bond? Okay, so interestingly enough, I actually thought when I was auditioning for the role that I was auditioning for a Bond girl. So that's that's what they told me. And they told everybody that they were auditioning for a Bond girl. And I was like, me as a Bond girl? I, don't, I, don't, I just don't see it. Like, I just don't, you know. And you're never given the script, by the way, when you're auditioning for Bond either. That's so helpful. I had no idea what it was going to be like. And I was thinking, well, am I going to be like a tits and arse kind of Bond girl thing? You're like, I mean, really? That's not really me. Um, but I just thought, I'm going to have Crossroads when they actually give me the script. Because if it is not, you know, something that's representative of me and all my values, what do I do? But then it's Bond, you know what I mean? (laughs) And then you've, you you know, you're three auditions in and you're like, oh my gosh. Um, But I was so lucky because by the time I got to audition three, Mm. they pulled me into a room and they were just like, look, you're not auditioning for a Bond girl. You're actually auditioning for the role of Eve Moneypenny. And she's going to be a badass, kick-ass, out in the field with Bond, going toe-to-toe with him. And I was like, yes, this is so me. Like, yeah. Amazing. So they had it all, actually. You know, that was um, a, bit, a big part of it was Sam Mendes' idea. Who's yes. I love Sam Mendes. He's amazing. The, the, the fact that Moneypenny now has a Christian name mm. is such a small thing, mm-hmm. but not mm-hmm. all at the same time. Because it gives her a humanity because it gives her a personality and it makes her not just um, a kind of cog in this massive machinery of MI6, but actually she is a woman in her own right Mm. um, making choices. And it's also the reason why she's able to make the choice to switch between being in the field or being behind the desk or, you know, and just gives her more weight and importance, I think, in the film. Yeah. Winnie Mandela is another huge role and Mm -hmm. something I would describe as maybe a milestone for you in Long Walk to Freedom in, Mm -hmm. in the Mandela movie. What was your initial reaction when your team brought that project to you? I was excitement, actually. I was just really, really excited about it. It wasn't until like, I got to South Africa that the terror really set in <laughs> because, you know... Now we're getting to the good stuff. Okay. Yeah, because I, you know, I said yes. And I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. This is a great role. This is the role of my life. You know, I dreamed of a, <laughs> a role like this. Yeah, bring it on. And then you get to South Africa and you realise like, wow, you know, Winnie Mandela is like a god There's there. something that happens the minute you walk into Soweto. Mm-hmm where you just feel this weight. Mm. And I uh, did that uh, in in the process of making the documentary. Mm -hmm. I didn't do that uh, carrying the weight of an icon Mm. for that country Mm. and for Africa. It was really, really tough. But I have to say I was so lucky because so much of the focus was on Idris because obviously he was playing Nelson Mandela. 
the media in South Africa, you know, all their attention was on him. And they were like, how can somebody who's British play our national icon? And is this right? And so on. And I also got um, Winnie's blessing uh, to play her because I, I went out to dinner with her. And um, I said, you know, how do you want to be played? Because there's such completely opposing views about who she is. Some people see her as this absolute Mother Africa figure, nurturing, loving, inspirational. And then other people see her as literally a devil. A terrorist, she's yeah. called. Yeah. As, as, as has Nelson. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, where do you see yourself as fitting on that spectrum? And uh, she said, Naomi, look, I'm not going to answer those questions. I know that you've done your research. I know that you've been chosen to do this role and you've been chosen because you're the right person to do this role. Mm. Um, so you make the decision about how you want to portray me. And it was so liberating. Winnie Mandela herself has said, I know what I'm doing. Um, so nobody else can tell me how to play Winnie. Okay, getting someone's approval is one thing. Yeah. Getting their congratulations mm -hmm. after the fact is a very different thing altogether. Mm -hmm. What was Winnie's reaction when she saw the film? Winnie saw it. She um, held my hand in the toilet and she said, she, uh, she went to the bathroom, I was in the bathroom as well. So can, you, can you give me some <laughs> yeah, context here? Sorry. Wait, she, was, <laughs> she was going to gather herself okay. in the ladies' bathroom. This is better. I was in the bathroom as well. <laughs> I'd come out of the stalls. Okay, she good. was out of the stalls as well. I see it now. And she, uh, we'd both washed our hands. <laughs> <laughs> And she held my hand and she said, um, Naomi, that is the first time that I feel like I've been portrayed in a film. She said it was too emotional for me. It was too raw. It was too real. I would never watch it again. But you did a phenomenal job. And I feel as though I've been truly represented. Wow. Yeah. I mean, she did say she was never going to see it again. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't get much better than that, does no, it? it doesn't get any better. That's it incredible. really doesn't. Um, do you have a comfort zone? Because it feels as though every role that you've taken mm -hmm. is so different. Yeah, you know what? I do it to myself every time. In fact, I start <laughs> another job in like two weeks and I'm like, oh my God, why did I do this to myself? Yeah. I'm, I'm someone who's easily bored. So I, I want to keep it interesting for myself. I want to be challenging myself constantly. But even when I choose a role that I think, oh, this is okay. You know, I think I can reach this, this character. It's never as simple as you think. Mm. I think acting is more than just like, about acting you know it's about stretching and growing and inhabiting another soul and that is always going to challenge you um, and in a, in a way that is totally unexpected and I think you always get the right role that you need to develop at the right time as well mm -hmm. I think there's something really divine about it because it, it forces you to grow in ways that you need to at that point when was the last time you felt that um, well, I'm feeling it now with the role that I've got, but I don't know what the lesson is going to be because I haven't found her yet. Mm. And then I, you know, I did this film I talked about, Black and Blue, which um, I was like, this one is, you know, I've kind of got her and I know who she is. It, You know, it's my first lead role, but I'm going to be able to do this because she's not that different from me. And then you start on the journey and you always realise they're never, ever you. Mm. They're never, ever you. And I realised that she's far more principled than me. She's also a lot more shut down. You know, there's always something really fascinating you learn. I've never really seen you in that kind of role. I've not actually seen the movie yet, but mm -hmm. in the trailer mm -hmm. itself, uh, seeing you as the, the gun-waving action hero <laughs> cop who's on the run, uh -huh. uh, that's someone that I've never seen you be on screen good because that's what I always want yeah it's it really is just about as I said my boredom threshold because basically what happened after Moonlight was I got sent all these kind of Paula-esque roles and I was like no I'm 
not going to play Paula again. I just played her, you know. So I always want to do something completely different. And also, I think it's so easy in this industry for people to typecast you. Because they're just like, oh, yeah, she's that one who does, you know, that limping actor or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? That's the actor the that limps. limps. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I want to always show that there's more to me. And I want to challenge myself. I feel like there are so many um, characters inside me. And I think there are so many characters in fi- inside of everybody. I think what's so fascinating about acting is that you get an opportunity to explore that. And most people don't. Mm. The, the idea of, of discovery is... Um, one of the most beautiful things about going into making factual programs for Mm. me and um, an opportunity popped up three times in my life and it was only on the third occasion that I was ready to actually uh, dive into it Mm. and that opportunity is something that you recently actually went on and did yourself and this is another one of those things who do you think you are so I did that show several years ago now and uh, I ended up going back to Ghana where my mother and father were born and we followed my father's side of the family. Mm -hmm. Now, as someone who, like yourself, doesn't have much of a relationship with their father, Mm. that was the reason I said no twice Ah, to doing the show. Because I just knew that it would be my dad's side of the family that they'd follow. And when they did the DNA test, as you know they do, uh, and then they looked into my mother's family tree and my father's, Obviously, luck would have it that his story was way more interesting right. than my mother's. My mum's is village, yeah. as far back as it goes. Yeah. It's just black people <laughs> in one area in Ghana. Yeah. Whereas my father, people have been mixing in on his side of the family for generations. Mm. And I ended up going to Ghana and not only learning so much about my family, mm. but tons about myself. Mm. I'm incredibly proud of making that journey, not just on my behalf, but on my entire family's behalf, exactly. because... We all have that big file now with all of the documents in yeah. it that you get when you leave. And it's opened up and changed something for all of us in our understanding of our history. Um, why did you say yes? And when were you comfortable enough to engage with a story about someone who you didn't really know in your father? So I was approached seven years ago to do Who Do You Think You Are? Right. And um, at the time, I wasn't really very interested weirdly enough. And I was talking about this uh, with my friend and I was saying, you know, it's so weird that actually I wasn't interested in exploring my past. And she said, it's not really that, you know, bizarre because kind of immigrant families, their focus is so forward because they're like, we've arrived in a new country. We need to explore. We need to, yeah, we're starting again. Right. So Mm. it's like the past is like, let's forget the past and let's move forward. And so I got that kind of immigrant mentality as well, you know, um, because my mother is a first generation. Uh, generation immigrant mm. and also there's this very Jamaican thing where it's like don't air your dirty laundry in public <laughs> keep your secrets to yourself you know all this kind of thing so when I approached my mum and I said look mum I've been you know approached by who do you think you are she was like no 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 you know we no no one no one needs to know our business keep it in the family so I thought okay well I'm not that interested anyway so I said no and then what happened was I got the DNA kit for my birthday actually for my mum and I discovered that I was like what am I? Oh my gosh, I can't even remember now. It's 49.5% Nigerian. I knew it. And then, it. yes, yes. I knew it. I knew it as well. <laughs> I, always, I always am drawn to um, Nigerians. I knew I'd be Nigerian. Love, so proud to be Nigerian. Anyway, <laughs> and also 21% Scandinavian. What? So the Nigerian thing, I was like, yes. But the Scandinavian thing, I was like, what? 
where's that come from? Right. And it just, it wouldn't leave me. I was like, I really want to know more. I want to know more about my family history and, you know, where I really come from and so on. So my mum, as you noticed, was not in the programme because <laughs> she did not want to be in the programme. But um, but yeah, I did it for the rest of my family and they were so grateful that I did. Um, when you sign up to do it, you don't know what path it's going to go on. You don't know, I didn't know whether my father was going to be featured at all or whether he was going to be the entire focus of uh, the the program I had no idea but and I mean this happened after doing the Hoffman process as well where I was just like I really want to reconnect with my father I really want to make sure that there's no resentment in me about what happened in the past Mm. you know when he chose not to be part of my life because I mean he was 18 years old can you imagine 18 years old making that kind of decision about you know having a child I can't even imagine I'm 43 I can't even imagine like making that decision now about having a kid it would still be terrifying so um you know there comes a moment when you just have to forgive and um, uh, interestingly enough, it didn't really help with my dad because these names and dates and facts and figures that I got given about the relatives on his side had zero connection. Right. Uh, whereas, of course, with my mum's side of the family and particularly hearing about my grandfather, it was so impactful in a way that I had not anticipated. Because I, I boasted to all my friends. I said, I don't know, people always cry on that programme, but I'm not going to cry, no. <laughs> oh my God, no, they're not going to get me to cry. Everyone's like, they're going to get you to cry, Naomi. I was like, no, they're not. I'm going to be just fine. I blubbed pretty much every single day. Yeah. Like oh, most of the time, it's like my eyes were like almost so puffy. They were almost closed because I've been crying so much. You know, it's just like, <laughs> oh my God, this is so sad. But only on my mum's side. Very interesting. Um, what would you say the, the toughest moment or the most sort of um, beautiful moment you choose uh, in making that show was? Uh, I think when I went to Miss Dorothy, who is the neighbour of my great-grandmother, and when she reminded me that my grandfather had taken me as a baby by himself with my cousin as well back to Jamaica to visit her and I'd I'd had no recollection of this at all and it just hit me just how much my grandfather loved me and what a huge part of my life he was and that I'd spent my most of my life feeling like I, I wasn't fathered and that I had been fathered but just by my grandfather and that was just such a beautiful realisation and even like now talking about I'm like ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> hold it together hold it together <laughs> Naomi thank you so much thank this has you. been so much fun having you Yay. on and it's so nice to reminisce about Anna it is it really <laughs> is we have to go and visit her uh, thank you for coming you've been listening to The Road Less Travelled Brought to you by Bellstar. Hey!